this weekend, I, 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 as Doug said, he's noticed, he said, if you're a gifted preacher, we let you do what you want. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that I'm in that category. I don't know what you do. If you're not a gifted preacher, does he give you the text? I mean, does he say, preach on this? So I, I prayed about it and said, like, God, what do you want to say to this people? And I, we're going to go through the, through the Gospels. We're going to look at Jesus. You can't get safer than looking at Jesus. But I, I felt him say he wants to talk through a few passages about encounters with Jesus. Because is that something you'd like? Do you want to encounter Jesus this weekend? It's why we pray, we read our Bibles, why we worship is it not. We want to encounter the living God. We believe Jesus is not dead in the, in the tomb, but he's alive in heaven, which means he talks, communicates with us today. Some of you may be coming on this weekend just wanting direction in your life. You want Jesus to speak. Sometimes these, these times of being together is like a, a time when God speaks to you. Um, some are looking for wisdom. Some, you may feel your faith is low and want a bit of a boost. Maybe you're wrestling through what faith is itself, and you just, you're here because someone invited you. I don't know what your story is, but my prayer is that Jesus encounters you this weekend. For the vast majority of people here, I'm sure we're hoping you've had one encounter at least with Jesus, which is coming to faith. Nobody's born a Christian, are they? You can be born a Muslim or a Hindu. You can't be born a Christian. Tim, the late Tim Keller who planted a church in Manhattan in the middle of secular New York. He said this, my, my three sons have grown up in church. They've heard the gospel countless of times. But if Jesus didn't reach out to them and engage them and call them to faith, they would simply be well-behaved idolaters. Because there's always something going to take the center of your life, isn't it? If it's not Jesus, it's something else. Over the next three sessions, we're going to look at Jesus encountering three different people. I've chosen three women, and it's going to be the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7 and Matthew 15, and then concluding with Mary Magdalene at the garden tomb. We're doing this so we can learn from their encounters with Jesus to learn some of our encounters as well. We're going to see the first encounter Jesus actually initiated she was just minding her own business, and he comes to an ask her a question. And so we're going to look at that question today and say, what is Jesus asking of you? Is he asking of you anything this weekend? The second encounter, Jesus was approached for a need. The Syrophoenician woman needed something from Jesus. And the second question we're going to look at is, what are you asking Jesus for? Maybe you're not at the moment, but I hope over this weekend that you'll start to draw in and press into and ask Jesus for things. The final encounter occurred directly after Jesus rose from the dead. He called Mary by name. Jesus responded to her devotion. And the question we're going to conclude on Sunday mornings, how's your devotion to Jesus? So we'll build through the, the three sessions. It's a nice thing about doing a weekend like this. You can, you can always do a series in, in miniature in, all in one weekend and get it all, all concluded and moved on. But let's start at the woman of the well. Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman. Now, if I were to ask you, who really knows you, what would your answer be? Who do you let your guard down to? Who do you feel is a safe place to reveal the true you? Because we, we don't do that to everyone, do we? It'd just be a nightmare if, you know, how are you doing? Well, let me tell you how I'm really doing. So like the, the, the lady at the counter at the checkout or something. We don't do that. We only reveal ourselves to the people we really trust. It's vulnerable. It's difficult to do that. Who's that for you? I hope it's somebody. He 
You see, we want people actually to be vulnerable too. We, we crave it as human beings. It's something that really it just feels great when someone is safe, they get us, they can relate to us, they affirm us. We don't have to walk on eggshells around them or manage their expectations. It's just, ah, oh, I can relax. See, the woman at the well was initially guarded. She, she didn't really want to talk to Jesus. But as she opened up, she felt safe. And then suddenly, she was full of energy and just felt, wow. She felt known, and she just went and told everyone. Jesus has his incredible ability to ask questions that open up our hearts. Has his incredible ability to make us feel safe and so we can be vulnerable to him. It's, it's what God wants for us. He knows everything anyway. I often pastor people, and they say, well, I couldn't tell God that. I say, well, he's, he knows your heart anyway. He knows you're angry with him, so tell him you're angry. The Psalms are full of people saying how angry they are about God. Now, it never stays there, because actually God is so perfect, you often find that you're wrong to be angry with him. But you have to express your emotion to him. He's the safest person to be angry at. Have you ever been angry with God or to God? Have you ever expressed your most vulnerable emotion? Have you shouted? Have you screamed? Have you cried? It's the safest place in the world. And the woman at the well realized who this was. It's why pop stars seem to love Jesus. It's why Gandhi said, I love Jesus. It's just you Christians I have a problem with. <laughs> Do you know that? But what happens is, in the world, it's trendy to like Jesus. You know, big rap, rap stars have these huge crosses. and these. But very people... Very few people say to Jesus, please probe my heart, look at my lifestyle, ask me questions about it, because that's really vulnerable. So I hope you're not just trendy followers of Jesus, you're vulnerable followers of Jesus. The question I want to look at today is, what is Jesus asking of you? He asked the woman a very simple question, but it began a, a conversation that opened up her heart. Is Jesus trying to get your attention this weekend? Will you allow him to start a conversation with you? You see, because if you're, if you're desperate for God to speak, he will speak. Remember years ago, our family, I was, a little, I was young, we went to this big um, event in the UK. We still do big Christian events every so often in the UK. I'm, I've been here 15 years. So it's a long time since I've been in the UK. But we had this huge Easter event, thousands gathered and my dad was in a difficult place in his career, didn't know what was going on. He just said, Jesus, will you speak to me this weekend or this week? I think it was four days. And he went to all the seminars and he, he listened intently, but he didn't feel God say anything. And right on the last day, he just said, God, I, I feel like I've come here to hear from you and I haven't heard from you. Have I done something wrong? What, what's going on? And as he's walking back to the car, fairly defeated actually, you know, because he's going back to his, his job and his busyness of life and he's just... Not sure what's going on. This woman comes out of nowhere. She said, God has a word for you. I saw a picture of you, like a damp match being struck. And it's like your career to this moment is like a damp match. But God's going to cause your career to really take off. And it was just the encouragement he needed. And God knows how to speak in a way that's meaningful for you. So I don't know how God's going to speak to you this weekend. But I know if you're hungry, if you're keen for God to speak, he will speak. Now, my, my late grandmother was quite a royalist. You know, in, in England, you either get people who want to just get rid of the monarchy or the people just love it. And you get lots of fun events like uh, the Jubilees and stuff like that. And um, it was a dream of my grandmother to meet the queen. And uh, in her 80s, that, that dream came pretty much true. She didn't quite meet her, but she sat on the front row right here where she, and the queen was here because my, my dad actually, his career did take off. 
and through um, his newspaper, he was a newspaper editor, and he raised millions and millions of pounds for charities over a decade or so, different campaigns, and, and the way it works in the UK, the honours list is that pop stars get honours just because they're pop stars and cricketers and all that, but then the ordinary people have to get nominated by someone who's sort of connected, and so this guy just nominated my dad for an MBE, and then he got this letter through saying, I want to invite you to the palace to present you with the member of the order of the British Empire. My dad could take three guests. We took my mum and my two, two grands. There's a picture of my, my dad meeting the queen. And then my, his mum is in the wheelchair. And because she's in a wheelchair, she got to sit on the front row. <laughs> you, see, you can get access in your wheelchair. It's great. And the thing is, so she had a dream realized, and she, she saw the queen very close up. But when you meet the queen, you're in your best dress. You know, my, I've never seen my mum in a hat like that before. <laughs> Everyone wears a hat to see the queen. You know, that's just the way it is. But when you meet Jesus, you don't need to be dressed up. You don't need to have your act together. This woman at the well wasn't expecting to meet the creator of the universe. She just went to collect some water. And that's the great thing about Jesus is you don't have to get yourself ready. He meets you where you're at. So whatever's in your life this weekend, Jesus can meet you. You don't need to get your life sorted. In fact, it's probably better if he helps you sort your life than you try and do it by yourself. So we're going to look at this passage, John chapter 4. We ask Dave and Talia, are you around, guys? That I thought it would be good, because it's quite a long passage, rather than just me read it. I'll be the narrator, but I thought we'd get Dave as Jesus, and we'll get Talia as the woman at the well. I hope that's okay. So have you, you've got, got mics. Just, so I'll, I'll be the narrator, and you guys can just um, do your parts. So it's John chapter 4, verse 1 to 29. I know you're a chill-back church, so we can do this, can't we? You know. you know, Doug travels the world in slops and preaches in slops. The only preacher I know who just is he's the slop preacher. I don't know if, you, if that's a word or not, but everyone knows about him in advance. Okay, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus... When Jesus had learned that Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Got a well in the corner of the room. I don't know that's significant. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw the water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, 
So give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come here. I have no husband. You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem uh, is the place where people ought to worship. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. For no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come Come see a man. Oh, sorry. Go for it. (laughs) Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Wonderful. Thanks so much, guys. Give him a round of applause. It's a great thing in church. If you do something on the mic, you get a round of applause. You know, it's the easiest round of applause you'll ever get in your life, you know. But you always get a round of applause. Now, I'm sure this is a familiar passage to you, is it not? I mean, it's one of the famous passages in the Gospel of John. And um, don't let your familiarity, though, prevent you from getting something out of it. Look, to summarize what's happening, Jesus is the rabbi, the traveling rabbi. He's got his taladim, which is disciples who follow him. Jesus in his 30s, his disciples in his teens, they've gone off to get food. And he's sitting at the well, and he's just thirsty and wants a drink. And he just asks the woman there to give me a drink. It's not a typical ministry moment. It's, it's actually done a whole lot of ministry. You know, he was, he's out discipling or baptizing the, the disciples of John, and he got a bit rough, so he said, let's just depart, because it it's a bit embarrassing. We're just, let's, let's get away from Judea. And he's just waiting to get a drink, and then a ministry moment happens. See, if it happened today, it probably called the woman at the service station. I've got a picture somewhere and he, he probably said, can you give my car a drink? You know, it's, it's that sort of mundane moment where you're just sort of chatting or, you know, with a checkout person. It's just normal life. But tired as he is, he asks this woman for a drink. And then something confusing happens. You notice in the passage, the woman pushes back and says, look, why are you as a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? It's a bit like if a Palestinian asked a Jew for a drink in Israel today. If you know the background, you know the tension that it's all about. And you need to know the background to this story. Because why is it so tense? Why is she even just pushing back? I mean, just be kind. Just give the guy a drink. Now, Samaritans descended from the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. They abandoned God. They abandoned worship of Jerusalem. If you know the story, after Solomon died, kingdom was split in two. And they said, we can't go to Jerusalem because actually it's going to get in the way of us leading the northern kingdom. Let's make our own, our own gods. They, they took the golden calves that were Aaron made, remember? when they, and Moses sort of crushed it and made everyone eat the, the bits of the golden calf. And they remade them and said, well, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. So they worshipped in Bethel different gods. 
And then what happens is eventually they get carried off into um, exile themselves. They come back and some stay behind. And then the Jews get carried off into Babylon. And they come back. And when they come back, these people around them have interbred and mixed. And this is the sort of the, it's an Israeli-Jewish mix of, and they're called Samaritans. They're the ones that opposed Nehemiah and uh, had to have, they had to say, no, you can't help us. And while they're technically Israelites, to, to some extent, they were looked down upon as semi-Israelites. You see, while the Jews read the entire Old Testament, the, the Samaritans only accepted the book of the Torah. So just put up the next. Just the first five books, that's all they read. The Jews, though, read the whole the Old Testament scriptures. They also worshipped other gods who were syncretistic, and so they didn't really see them as proper Israelites. They looked down upon them, and they felt judged by these Jews. So when a Jew comes, particularly a Jewish rabbi comes and says, give me a drink, he's like, well, you know, you don't even like us. A Jewish rabbi at the time, he said, let no man eat of the bread of the Samaritans, for he who eats their bread is as he who eats pig's flesh. That's, that's the biggest diss you can get if you're a Jewish person. Can you imagine the suspicion she felt when she knew this? She, here she was, a Jewish rabbi, teacher of the law, taught the whole Old Testament, asked her, a female working-class Samaritan, for a favor. But it gets even stranger than that. So Jesus pushes back on a pushback and says, actually, I've got something really good for you. So you're saying, no, I don't want to give you a drink. But she's saying, well, look, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not going to judge you. In, in effect, he's saying, I'm not, going to, I'm not who you perceive me to be. And he gets into this weird conversation where he starts talking in metaphor about living water. And she's saying, look, give me this physical living water. And they just miss each other. You see, well water was stagnant. And in a, in a time of when water wasn't sort of treated, it, wells could get contaminated. It was hugely ish, an issue. There's got a picture of a well, which is nice. It looks like good water, but it's, it's stationary. Better water was what the Jews called living water, which is what we would just call flowing water. From a stream. Who's ever been hiking and you run out of water and you have to get water? You don't go to the pond, do you? You go to the stream. Because flowing water is safer. Everyone knows that. And she's saying, if you've got this flowing living water, just give it to me. Because actually, a fellow could come into this well. So the poor woman is clearly confused because Jesus doesn't really explain where this living water comes from. He's just talking metaphorically about something far deeper, far more important. She's just like, give me the water. Verse 15, it gets to a head. She says, Sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty. You have to come here to draw water. Can you relate to the confusion? Have you ever been feeling like you're saying something to God and God's saying something different back to you and you're missing each other because he's speaking metaphorically maybe or you're speaking about something else and he's answering a different question? God seems quite happy to leave us confused sometimes because he presses in for something deeper. It's easy to spot in retrospect, but it's hard to spot at the time. I want to give you two examples from my life. One, one negative, one positive, where God was speaking and the message came through, it didn't come through. The first one was about 10, 11, 12 years ago, I'm not quite sure. I was interning at God First. This is, I came to the country, I was 27, came to intern. I was like, um, you know, you've got, you've got Doug, you've got Dave, you've got Gemma. And I'm sorry, I forgot the, guy, the new guy does next gen. And then I'd be the intern below all of them at God First. And then I was just happily doing what I was doing. And then I get called up on stage by the worship leader. I had a visiting worship leader. He got to know me. I picked him up, picked him up I think. And 
he just puts me on stage and says, Andrew, look around. God says, this is your people. You're going to lead them. Boy, did that cause a lot of confusion at God first. Because <laughs> we already had three full-time elders at the church. And here was this intern being told he's going to lead everyone. And, and, no, and everyone scratched their head, myself included. I'm like, what is this all about? It's a bit strange. How, what does this mean, Lord? But fast forward 12 years, and Michelle and I had a time out of God first, seven years at another church. We, we came back, and here we are leading God first. And I, I think the prophecy came true. It just didn't come true in the way anyone understood at the time. And sometimes God does that. He speaks into the future, and you just, you can't, at the time it feels weird. I'm like, what does this mean? And you park it, put it on a shelf, see if it comes true. And then when we were asked to come to, to lead the church in Benoni, there was a, a prophetic friend of mine in the States. He, he said, I've seen this picture of like adoption papers falling from heaven, and you're going to father something you've not fathered. He said, I have no idea what it means. But this was a positive one because I knew what it meant. It was a metaphor. We didn't think, oh, we need to adopt a child now because we we're in the process of adopting a church. We we're going to father, you know, pastors are seen as fathers and stuff. We're going to father something I hadn't fathered. I didn't start the church. The one in Benoni started by a guy called Malcolm. And if you know it's a metaphor, it's a lot easier to understand what God's saying. But God seemed to quite happily move between literal and metaphor, and, and he wants you to press in and find what's going on. He didn't help this woman out straight away. He was thinking metaphor. She was thinking literal, and he allowed the confusion to go on for a little bit. So don't get worried if it's confusing what God's saying, because just press in, and God will explain. He wants you to show faith by saying, I really want to hear what you're going to say. I trust you, Jesus, that what you're saying is true. And faith is pushing through when it doesn't seem like it's true, or doesn't, you don't, can't imagine how it's true. You push in and Jesus will explain. So in the passage, he's speaking about metaphor, and in, in, but in his kindness, eventually he just goes straight forward with her. He just goes, let's switch it up here. She's not getting it. And do you remember what he says to her that stops her in a track? He says, go fetch your husband. Because in, in Jewish cultures, if you want to teach someone properly, you, you the wives would come with the husbands to be instructed together. And so that's what the rabbi was doing. He's like, come fetch your husband. We'll talk this through some more. And she goes, oh, hmm. Bit of a problem there. Because she goes, I don't have a husband. Which is a bit of a, a block, isn't it? It's a bit of a... Because Jesus said, well, actually, you've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband, but you're with someone. And so it's the sort of stuff she didn't really want to reveal. It's a deeply shameful thing in, in those times. If you think cohabiting is like a little risky today in churches, imagine back in Jewish culture. If you're cohabiting, there's something gone really deeply wrong there. And she's like, doesn't know what to do. She could have just got really insulted and walked off, but she presses in. She's like, well, this guy knows something. He's actually revealed something I didn't know. That's called a word of knowledge. Because he reveals a fact to her that only she knows that he couldn't have known naturally. You've been married five times. It's pretty unusual for someone to be married five times. So you're not going to guess that sort of thing. You know, anyone in the room here, I don't you know, guess how many times you've been married. I'm not going to guess five. Five is quite a lot, isn't it? I mean, it does happen. But she gets this vulnerable moment where she's exposed. Jesus said, I, I know your situation. And, and she's probably embarrassed by it. 
I was in another church a while back, and I just couldn't shake off this sense that the, the lady I was the, around, she'd just been hurt by a man. So eventually, I've got to just actually say it. So it just felt really, really strong. And just said to her, look, have you ever been hurt by a man? I, I feel God saying this to you. And she just burst into tears because she had her husband had just had, had an emotional affair, and they were just trying to work it through, and everyone forgot about it, it died down, and it, Jesus was bringing it to the forefront again, because he's basically saying, I see you, and, and here, Jesus is saying to the woman, I see you, I, I know your situation, I'm not embarrassed by it, and somehow she feels safe, do you notice that? She didn't get offended or shout, or she just felt seen, because she pressed in, Last week I was in a church in Cape Town and we were teaching about words of knowledge because they're such wonderful things. If you get a word of knowledge, it just opens things up because it's a fact you cannot know. And as I was teaching about it, the lead pastor, Ryan, at this church, Common Ground in Rondebosch, he just goes, I've just got a sense of this pain in my knee. It's, it's, it wasn't here when I started. Now it's here. It's really, really strong. It's, and I said, look, it may be a word of knowledge. Word of knowledge don't just come through words. They can be, come through senses in your body. And so we just said, anyone in the staff meeting here got a pain in the right knee? And this lady goes, you know, I do. So we all gather around, just like we did just now, prayed for each other. We just prayed for healing for a right knee, because if God calls it, you can have faith for it, it's going to happen. And God called this one. He gave a word of knowledge to announce he's going to heal. We prayed, she got instantly healed. She goes, whoa, 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 just wait, let me test it out. She's like, I'm healed. And everyone's like, was cheering and stuff. And it was just God doing stuff. But he does it with words and knowledge. He still speaks today like he spoke to this, this woman at the well. Her broken past was exposed. But instead of retreating, she pressed in for more. Jesus has this ability to, to, to really speak hard truths to people in a way that makes them feel safe and not exposed, even though he's exposing her. How are you doing that? Are you able to tell people the hard truths in a way that's sensitive? It's an important skill to, to develop as a Christ follower. See, as believers, we're told, Paul says, we're Christ's ambassadors. I've never been an ambassador before. We've got a lady in our church whose husband was the ambassador for, for used to travel, was ambassador for South Africa to New Zealand, to Bahrain, and then I think to Switzerland. And she traveled the world as the ambassador's wife. You know, the whole Ferrero Rocher thing. Do you have that here? I can't remember. It's a big, it was in the UK. It was like this whole Ferrero Rocher thing about the ambassador giving the Ferrero Rocher. But she traveled the world as the ambassador's wife. And Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors. We get to represent what the kingdom of God's like to other people. So being able to do what Jesus did to take truth in a way that's compassionate, where it's loving, it's so important. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, we need to deliver the truth in love. And as Christians, we're either usually good at one or the other. We're good at telling people the truth, but they just feel ugh, judged. Or we're just so loving, we just step around the truth and we just care for it, but they feel cared for and looked after. But that's not the, what we're trying to do. We're, trying, we're told we have to tell the truth in love. Tim Keller simply says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. That's not loving. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Either way is not representing Christ as we should. We need to give the truth 
in love. And we can learn from this encounter how Jesus did it. So if we're going to reach people for God, we need to be able to do it in a way that lets them know we love them and have compassion, but also we're not scared from holding back the truth. You can say many blunt, hard things if you do it in a way the person feels loved. You can get away with lots. The first thing is to make them feel loved. You're on their side. And this woman felt Jesus on her side somehow. Do you see how the conversation changes at this point? As soon as Jesus reveals that word of knowledge to her about her husbands and stuff, suddenly she feels like safe and she guards down and she's asking loads of questions. She's talking about worship and like, you, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, we worship here where Jacob is and da-da-da-da. She's suddenly energized. Isn't that a powerful thing? When you can make people feel safe, they'll just open up, they'll talk. They'll talk and talk and discuss things and she's hungry. She's, and Jesus says to her, well, it's a time coming when you're going to worship, not in Jerusalem and not in this mountain. You're going to worship in spirit and truth. It's going to be amazing. And this morning, we got to do that. We don't need to go to Jerusalem to meet Jesus. We worship with great truthful songs, but we worship with God's spirit amongst us. Never knowing what's going to happen. Someone's going to bring a word, a prophecy, a scripture. It's going to excite us and enliven us because God is here in the midst of us. That's why we come to this weekend, is to encounter God, are we not? And he spoke a lot of detail to her because he was willing to, to receive that. You want to get to a place where people are hungry to find out what you know about Jesus. But don't just, just tell them the stuff that you know about Jesus unless they're hungry. Jesus has a way of opening people up. There's a skill involved, and we can learn from this. And what's incredible is that this passage is so shocking to John's readers because the passage before, Jesus has been speaking to Pharisees and they're not open. And yet this sexually broken, morally flawed Samaritan woman in a, in a few short sentences, she goes from suspicion to realizing that this is the Messiah. Jesus has been trying to convince the Pharisees he's the Messiah. He's been demonstrating to the Jews his signs and his wonders that, that, that show the Messiahs amongst them and they don't believe it. They weren't open, they were closed. Yet this morally broken woman was open. In the previous chapter, Nicodemus, if you know the story, comes at night because he's fearful of his other Pharisees. He wants to know about Jesus, but the rest of them don't. He was getting a bit closer, but his Pharisees weren't. But this non-Jewish woman got close. I want to encourage you, don't be like the Pharisees today, but do be like this woman. Allow God to speak to you. Don't hold your guard up you can hold your guard up to other people. Just don't hold your guard up to Jesus. He's the one person you can be safe with. He'll ask you the question that will open up your heart if you let him. It's up to you. She gets so excited about what Jesus is speaking to her. She actually leaves her water jar behind. You notice that? The very thing she came to the well to do, she just leaves it and runs off into town. She says, come see a man who has told me everything I ever knew. Isn't that a great testimony about Jesus? We feel this obligation if you've been a believer for a long time. We've got to tell people. We've got good news. The way to get excited and tell people is to get excited about Jesus. Let him do exciting stuff in your life, and you'll tell people. Don't, don't try and muster up. I've got to tell people. Just, just let Jesus transform your life, and you can't help talking about how wonderful he is. That's what happened with this woman. She turns into an instant evangelist. It's, just, it's quite dramatic how it happens. One moment she's suspicious as rabbi, and the next she's saying, come, you're going to hear him. Runs back into town. 
She's energized when Jesus told her the blunt truth. Letting Jesus bring her situation into the open, it brought a freedom to her. There's many people around us, there's many people maybe in this room that just have got situations where they're not free. And you have to let Jesus open up and bring freedom because freedom, there's abundance and there's joy and there's peace. And there's a whole suburb of Parkhurst and surrounds. They're just people longing to have this freedom. And we can develop the skill through partnering with the Holy Spirit and how to do it. The same Holy Spirit is with Jesus. We don't quite know how it works with Jesus because he's the second person of Trinity and stuff. But, you know, he's taught, called us to do the same thing, to reach the same sort of people. He's given us spiritual gifts to open situations up that are hard. So what about you? If you were to meet Jesus in the middle of your day as you're taking a coffee break or stopping to fill up your car, what truth would Jesus want to speak to you? What would his opening question be to unlock your heart? Because it might just be a simple question. I don't know what it is. But he knows what exactly what to speak to you to get you going in conversation. Then he might go deep and reveal something that's a bit vulnerable and awkward. But you press in. What's amazing, this wasn't a spiritual moment. This wasn't actually in church singing worship songs. This was just a mundane thing of just fetching water. God loves to break into our everyday lives. Don't box him into your quiet time in the morning and then just get on with your day. Expect God to speak through your day. He's keen to speak if you're open and willing to listen. I've been at the cinema and God's spoken to me. I've been driving or I've been showering. or Just be open to God to speak and you'll speak. You'll drop things into your heart. Put something in your heart to pray for. And you start praying. Even the, the prepping this message, uh, Doug and I had a couple of conversations about overly long messages. And I just felt when I went back, God said, look, I was speaking through that. I want you to cut something out. So I, I cut something out. I, I, I took a normal conversation that wasn't a God conversation. And God highlighted it to help me. And so you've got 600 words less than you would have had. So it'll only be two hours, not three. So, you know. But God wants to speak. He wants to help you in your daily life. We don't need to clean up our lives to, let, to meet God first, to get Jesus' help. We don't need to have everything, our ducks in a row. In fact, we can't do that. The message of the gospel says, come as you are. He meets you where you're at. Romans 5 verse 6 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, once you got your life together, he died for you. He said, while your life was a mess, he died for you. And we often accept that when we come to faith, but then in faith, we expect we've got to get our lives all together for Jesus to help us. Jesus will help you where you're at. One of the errors we get into is we've got to work to get God's help. You can have a fight with your spouse in that very moment as you've stormed out the room, you can say, Jesus, please help me. Because you will. You don't need to calm down and be in a better mood to go to Jesus in prayer and ask for help. You can pray that Jesus speaks to your spouse and tells them the real truth. Because you know it and he knows it and she needs to know it or he needs to know it. This is real life. But we often get very religious and don't do that. God wants you, if you're married today, God wants your marriage to work more than you do. He'll help you. But do you let Jesus in? Or do you only let him in once it's gone a bit disastrous and you go to the pastor and he's in there in the moment? You can be caught in addiction and messed up again and again and you feel bad. And you... I've met many people that say, well, I'll pray once I feel a bit better. 
No, no, pray now at your worst moment. Ask Jesus for help. The gospel is you get forgiven 150 times, 500 times, 1,000 times. You keep going because Jesus is on your side. He wants you to win. It's the religious spirit that tells us we can't, we're not good enough. We've got to just wait till we're better and got a life a bit more fixed. No. The gospel is Jesus meets you where you're at. He met this woman in the midst of five broken marriages, a cohabitation with a guy that probably wasn't the best sort of guy. And he meets her and says, look, hey, I've got some truth to speak to you. She could have run from Jesus, but all credit to her, she pressed in. So no matter where you are with Jesus right now, maybe far, maybe near, this passage tells us it's better to engage with Jesus where you're at. If Jesus is gracious to meet this woman where she's at and give her a fresh start, he can do the same for you. See, the question we're saying is, what is Jesus saying to you this weekend? Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? And ask him, Jesus, we thank you that you spoke to this woman at the well. Thank you that you engaged her. You made it feel safe for her. We ask, will you make it a safe environment for everyone this weekend to hear from you? Wherever they're at, may they, they realize they can let their guard down, that you're safe. Jesus, we pray for encounters this weekend. We pray for the living God to engage with us, mere humans. We thank you for your amazing gospel that makes us sons and daughters of God. We get a chat to the king of the universe, get a partner with you for your mission. Holy Spirit, when you come right now, just be amongst us. Just take a moment to, to speak to Jesus or let him ask you a question. This time. Jesus said, when, I, when two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. It's just it's a transcendent thing that Jesus seems to connect with us when we gather. So call on the Lord while he's near, he says.